welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. I'm really honoured to introduce you here to Professor Heike Vinches Theophilus. Heike is a professor in the Faculty of Computing and Informatics at Namibia University of Science and Technology in Namibia. This conversation continues the reflections on our peer reviewing practices. And this time we bring in some of the experiences of someone from the global south. Heike shares here the many challenges that she and her colleagues have faced in the form of reviewer assumptions and biases, often informed from a global north mindset as the default mainstream goal standard. She also talks about the challenges in getting their research to be equally valued in making contributions to knowledge creation and not just accepting their projected positions as exotic others and and mere users of knowledge. And this is also increasingly being exacerbated by the exclusionary implications of open access publishing for them and the consequent difficulties in getting their work more internationally visible and cited. I I think this is just such an important conversation I know I found myself personally challenged by it and I'm still mulling on it long afterwards. And it shows that our peer review processes and publishing models still have a long way to go to be truly international and to embrace what she calls the pluriversality of our peer community and create room for all to equally fit and contribute. And as Heike says so beautifully, while it's a matter of institutional and professional practices, it's also ultimately down to each of us as individuals to practically live out our espoused abstract values around diversity and inclusion and show them through in our reviewing practices in particular. So before we begin, I just need to apologise for the poor audio quality at times, especially at my end. I was network challenged because I'm not recording from my usual location and we also had to do it without video, just with audio to try to maximise bandwidth. Nevertheless, the the audio at my end does break up at times. Hopefully it will still be understandable though. We also use a few acronyms throughout and if these are unfamiliar to you, you can find explanations about them on the podcast webpage. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Heike. Heike, thank you very much for joining me. And I'm really excited to talk to you about continuing the discussion about the review processes and issues around it and and people's experiences in different contexts. And this this came about because we happened to be in a meeting discussing something else and you made a comment um, about review experiences that made me think it would be useful for us all to hear um, your perspective. So we'll get to that in a tick, but before we do, do you just want to give a little bit of an introduction to you and your background? Um, Yeah, so thank you for having me, and I'm quite excited to share our experiences. So my background, 
Um, okay, like maybe like my one part of my name gives it away, the Heike mm. Vincius. Um, I'm a child to two German parents mm -hmm. and have traveled the world because my father was working for Siemens. So we moved every three years to other countries. Um, so I grew up in different countries like Tunisia, Iraq. And then I came back to start my, my computer science studies in Germany, or actually not coming back because I wasn't really in Germany. <laughs> But so I, I, I went to study there um, up to my master's. And then for my PhD, I, I, okay, I came to Namibia in 1992 as a tourist. And traveling the country I felt like I can not be a tourist I, I really have to come here and work here and so I was thinking of what could be a good PhD topic that that I that I could work on to come mm -hmm. because at that point I only had a master so I couldn't go with GIZ or you know those companies that send people abroad so I was like okay I'll just do a PhD <laughs> and so I came up <laughs> I came up with the, the idea, and I mean, that was in the 90s on investigating the, the relation between culture and computer science. And it took me nearly a year to find professors to, to supervise that topic because they were like, I'm out of my mind. How can I even think of such a topic? <laughs> um, but it was quite worthwhile. Yeah. So I, then 94, I moved here for good and I never went anywhere else again from there um, I, I thought I would continue traveling the world but yeah yeah who, who did you get as a supervisor in the end Christiane Floyd oh the wonderful Christiane Floyd yes she was so convinced that this is a great idea and she was she trusted me fully so it, she gave me all that support Because, I mean, in the 90s, there was no proper internet. So we only mm. met whenever I moved, whenever I came to Germany. Then I traveled with 20 kilos of literature back to <laughs> Namibia. <laughs> wow. Yeah, It's so hard to imagine that the challenges, we're so used to just having the internet at our fingertips and the Zoom call like we're on now and you know, access to digital libraries. Good. That, yeah. that is an achievement and a half to do a PhD under those circumstances. Yeah, it, it was good and bad. I mean, I also felt quite lonely down here at times mm. because I, I couldn't just, you know, have a Zoom call or talk with someone. So mm. I, I had to travel back to Germany to meet Christiane. But, but it was really good. And, and I learned a lot. I mean, the, the, the PhD changed in many directions as I, as I got experiences here. Um, so, I, yeah, exactly. So then since 94, I'm here. Yeah. And then I think in 95 already, I got employed as a lecturer because at that time there were not too many computer science lecturers in the country. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so since that time, I've been at the university first at the Namibia University and now at the Namibia University of Science and Technology ever since. Yeah, and so you've, you've been a pioneer yeah. then, Heike, haven't you? Like both in, you know, coming up with that research topic and really being convicted that that's what you wanted to do and the struggles finding a supervisor. And not only must you be, I imagine, the, you know, one of the first computer science uh, 
professors, lecturers in Namibia, but also being a woman as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it was quite an interesting journey. And I mean the the cultural aspects. I you know I'm the, I'm also from the first generation of AI. So I did a master's in linguistics and translation mm-hmm. systems. And then it was a natural transition to think about culture mm-hmm. because we had lots of challenges in terms of tran- we couldn't translate certain things because the concepts didn't exist in the other in the other culture. And so I kind of naturally transitioned from linguistic into cultural aspects of computer mm-hmm. science. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and interesting as well. Yeah. yeah. And, okay, being a woman wasn't as hard, at least not down here in Namibia. I think it, it was harder in the, in the Arabic context where I grew up. And, and we had long discussions with Christiane whether I should go in the in the northern Africa or southern Africa. But for some reason, I always felt I want to go to Namibia. Mm-hmm. It was just a calling, and and I connect quite well with the culture here. So I'm, I'm yeah I'm married to a Namibian, and three children, but they, all of them went to Europe now. <laughs> ah, what for studies? Yeah, two two are done and one is still studying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you've already pointed to some of the, you know, one of the issues around different cultural contexts, which is just AI and there not being the concepts, you know, in in mainstream AI to account for your local experiences. What what are some of the other ways that You've experienced some of those tensions between, I don't know, would you call it the dominant academic cultures or how would you language this? Um, Okay, now you mean the tensions more general? I mean, tensions I experience a lot. (laughs) So the question is at what level or how do you mean now? In In any way that's that comes to mind for you? Because I, I, I guess I don't really understand, you know, the experiences to even know what I should be asking about, you know, <laughs> what you might have okay. experienced, which is part of the part of the blind spots, I think, that I recognise that I have. Yeah, so, so when I came, um, so I came actually with, with a focus much more on AI and culture and linguistic. Mm. But then as I was developing the software, and I mean, I come from a participatory design background, obviously, as a student of Christiane Floyd. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. But then I also realized that the, te- the techniques we use um, are really restrictive and they don't work. So we had those futuring workshops. Um, where people dream the future and then we come back down to earth, but it it all didn't really work. Mm -hmm. So people didn't dream and it made no sense for them to to, um, disconnect from from the immediate, from the needs. And and so it was interesting how how the techniques of ordinary software technology development didn't work 
yeah. the evaluations, you know, everything. And so that's how I slowly changed the topic to focus then on the methodologies on what, what does it mean to develop software in this context here? And mm. how do I need to change the, the techniques actually around it to, to um, be in line with the culture? And then I kept on going deeper and deeper in into actually indigenous knowledge, which is my real passion. Mm-hmm. And I think I always had that passion. So I even remember as a child, I was always wondering how do other people see the world from another perspective? So I, I keep on remembering me as a child sitting somewhere and thinking of that. And actually it has filled up my entire life and my entire mm-hmm. research space to say, okay, there's people who, who have a totally different concept of the world, a different way of learning, of knowing. Um, what does that actually mean? And then, of course, um, bringing it into the technology space, which is a construction all the time, and being in the design space, it makes it really interesting yeah. to say, okay, what, whatever people thought of makes no sense in, in another space. Yeah. Like, why is blue blue underlined a hyperlink? I mean, <laughs> you know, so that's, no, so we have been really trained. Why is a small triangle a drop box, a drop down box, you know? Mm. Um, so, so we don't think of many of those ways of how we, we have created technology. We think, we don't think about it anymore. No, we don't. But well, I don't. It's just what we do. Exactly. But then it's in the encounters with the other people who have not been part of the design of the use, who then ask the right questions, mm. you know, where we don't ask questions anymore. Mm. And so that's that's the really interesting part to then work with the indigenous communities because they ask so many questions and they make us reflect on what are we actually doing all the time. Yeah. Okay, you've just said two things that I want to repeat because I think they're so important. And one was, you know, just asking ourselves two questions. How do other people see the world from another perspective? If only we could have that question in front of our mind more often and that we don't ask questions anymore. We just take things for granted. And that we don't, like a lot of what we know and what we do and how we do it doesn't translate into other contexts. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, which would eventually also bring us to the reviewer. So, but also maybe from, from my perspective, I think it's also, it became really hard because I'm here since 94, you mm. know, so I, I'm, I'm fully immersed, I'm fully, I'm, I'm home here. Yeah, and and then you know, I I at times I don't understand what is happening in the global north. I don't understand the the conversations, the, mm-hmm. the issues that are of importance that are not of importance down here. You know, and and so it's really strange that then trying to communicate what what I do here, what we do here is is becoming harder and harder the longer I'm here. Actually, so it's kind of interesting because you know like then we get these reviews back and I'm like what on earth was this reviewer thinking you know and then I realized oh yes they are sitting you know so now I have to start the whole process again what are they thinking Mm, yeah yeah 
And it's it, it's becoming really hard because, you know, I think I have really important points to make, but they just don't understand. Because mm. we're not asking the questions about um, how do other people see the world from another perspective or, or in you know, what's important in another context. What might be some of the issues that are so important in the global north that aren't important in, you, in the context that you're in, Heike? What would be some examples of that? Um, the, the, the discussion in the global north, you mean? Yeah, yeah. You said that there are a lot of issues that are being, you know, that are really important in the global north that that just don't make sense or that aren't important um, for you. Um, okay, I, I okay. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying not to offend also anyone. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so it becomes really a bit complicated. Okay. So I, I <laughs> because I think there is okay. What I believe is that there is some kind of a um, learned empathy or abstract empathy, and mm -hmm. and then when it comes down, it's not lived. You know, mm -hmm. so like kind of saying we should be tolerant. But then on the ground, there is no tolerance. You know, you get mm -hmm. shouted at in the train. You get told not to walk here and stand in line and whatever. But on the other hand, it's there would be the discussion about diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. and whatever. You know, and so I can feel the 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 dissonance between the actual behavior and the abstract discussions. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the same in the academic space. Yeah. You know, that the kind of the learned attitude doesn't fit the behavior, maybe. Yeah. Can I put it yeah. that way? Yeah. And, and I mean, of course, so, okay, racism, okay, we also have it here. And, and of course, I'm highly sensitive to that. I mean, being married to, a, to a Namibian and my mm. children being dual heritage. So, so it, it is a topic, but it's, it comes and goes kind of. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it has interesting different angles. So it's, yeah. Yeah. But it's a totally different view. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. And you said about how this also connects to the reviewing process. In what ways um, do you experience, can you give any specific examples just to illustrate the ways this plays out in the review process. Yeah, okay, so there's different examples and I just, in preparation for this meeting, I just went through a couple of reviews we got in the last years. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think one of the major points I would say is, of, of course, so everybody reviews from their own standpoint. Yes. Um, and so... Okay, I'll share the extreme ones with you. It doesn't mean that every review is like that. So we also get normal reviews. Um, we got we also get very empathetic reviews, but we get also really harsh ones. Mm -hmm. um, and but I think the one that I so don't understand, which we get more and more often in the last two years, is this this thing of okay because the the topic of diversity and inclusion has picked up it has picked up in kai yeah um it has picked up earlier in smaller conferences already 
But I think Kai has okay this abstract concept of what it means to be inclusive and um, diverse. And so you know, so I would assume that we just submit a paper, we write about our study, and then it's naturally a part of diversification. And so then we still get reviewers saying, uh, why did you why did you go and do a study with the poor indigenous people in Namibia? Maybe assuming, you know, I'm coming from Europe and I'm flying mm-hmm. down here for a mm-hmm. week or I don't know. So there's a lot of assumptions. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the most funny ones we used to get was like, um, I have a colleague, he's called Stanley, but he's obviously a Namibian. Mm-hmm. And then he used to get reviews like, Ah, you only did a one-week workshop. What would you know about the Hereros? And it's like uh, he is a Herero, you know. <laughs> but but the, then always comes the question: How much context must we give so that we override assumptions? Mm. And but then what happens is that now the reviews we get is like, um, okay, but your study is not worth anything in terms of diversity if you don't find results that are different from what our people could have found. So so seriously, mm-hmm. there was like a comment like that saying, oh, your study does not, um, you did not, so we are in, um, currently we are in gesture design, user-centered, yeah. uh, user-driven gesture design. And so we are developing um, VR applications where then with the community we develop um, we, we extract natural gestures and di- discuss them and design and think, should they go into the VR? And then the reviewers say, yeah, but our students could have also come up with those same gestures and therefore, what are you actually bringing to the table? Mm. And it's like, he could have, but didn't. So we did this yeah. study before any, anybody else, you know? Yeah. And, and so why must we find out something that is different from what assumingly somebody in the global north would have found out. Yeah. You know, so so it's always this, yeah, so you are exotic and therefore your value comes through um, being different. But that's not the case. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so then they keep on saying, yeah, so only if you compare to mainstream. Then, oh. then we can accept mm-hmm. your paper. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, now you want me to fly to Europe and do a study with your students or what to compare? I mean, this is kind of a ridiculous request even in itself. Mm. So still keeping mainstream as the, the goalpost. Yes. And, and I mean, that's not what diversity is supposed to be. Diversity no. is supposed to be like we are equivalent to any other user group that we work with yeah and i yeah and i think that's one of the problems with the language of um inclusion it's often about the 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 mainstream however that's currently defined bringing in the other into their space and there are some people who differentiate that with equity where you lose that mainstream and other and it's everyone having an equal say, equal perspective around the table and that um, that thing about, you know, having that shift in perspective and recognising, because it's probably not a question that we ask ourselves about are we making assumptions about 
a mainstream and holding that as some sort of gold standard and measuring against that and not understanding the different perspectives um, in the way other people see the world. The, the, the reviewers explicitly write that, actually. Mm. You know, they say, well, we understand there should be diversity, but you don't compare to mainstream. Mm. <laughs> so within one sentence, they're actually saying it. Oh, no, you didn't uh, work with weird people, you yeah. know. And, oh, your people are more than different from non-weird people. And it's yeah. like, what are you actually saying here, you know? Yeah. Do you want to do you want to unpack the weird term for for listeners? Um, the okay. Well, you said you said about weird the weird people, and you're talking about weird as in Western educated, industrialized. Um, what was it again? Ah, I don't know. I have to. I'll look it up and I'll put it on the web page. But weird stands for. It, this perspective that really prioritizes the so-called you know global north as mainstream doesn't it oh. yeah and 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 the, and the thing is i mean they're not they're not even the majority on the planet and they're not even the majority of mm. users eventually mm. yeah but but i think what is really deeply anchored and i'm not sure how much the media played a role i i think it's this this assumption that um africa cannot be progressive you know africa cannot come up with innovations and 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 not not in vr or okay we were currently with the hololens for example i i don't think people could imagine that we do serious research here mm. um and And, and the assumption would always be, okay, we do a copy, we do a user, user study. And then, um, you know, so, so even the empathetic people, they then say, oh, this is a nice study because um, you are sensitive to the culture. And so then we know what technology they could absorb. And it's mm. like, no, it's not the technology they absorb. They are contributing to technology design. I mean, that is kind of what we are promoting here. We are saying if we include people from indigenous people, for example, in the early technology design, we, we get better technologies, you know, with, with different values immersed in them. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, so I think it's, there's, a, there's a lot of assumptions that reviewers have that just override it. And then, um, Yeah, so the and opinions. Mm. I mean, okay, the opinions are even worse, <laughs> you know. So when we move in that space of where people say, "Yeah, but why are you not leaving the indigenous people alone?" You know, who are you? Are you? Um, so, so some even called us colonizers, and I'm like, um, this is really insulting mm. um, to, to to even think. You know, we are. I mean, so it's it's that picture of you know the. The, the, the happy indigenous people that that were happy until the day we came with the technology and that's now neocolonialism. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Namibia only got independent in 1990. So there's still a lot of people alive who, who were colonized, who were living yeah. under the apartheid system. And, and the apartheid system did exactly that. No, you are not allowed on the bus. And so now we, we are repeating it. Oh no, you are not allowed to use VR. You know, so it is kind of um, 
actually more colonizing to say um, indigenous people should not have the chance to actually explore technology to see whether it is of any use to them. Mm. Yeah. And, oh. and so those opinions, they come out strongly. And then sometimes I'm thinking, do they even read our study? You know, do they even look at the academic value of it? Or is it is it becoming a political discussion now? Yeah. Oh, I'm just in, um, feeling <laughs> this in my body. I can just, I'm really sorry that, yeah, but these are the experiences. And it goes back to what you said about the espoused or the learned or the abstract principles, empathies, um, you know, fighting for justice or we've got to get things right in the world and, and people thinking that they're making a stand and holding up some principle, but they're actually perpetrating even worse, as you yes. said, in some ways, worse <laughs> impacts through the the way that's carried out and through the lack of understanding and the lack of asking questions, lack of self-awareness. Mm. Yeah. And, and I mean, okay, we, we, we have that kind of interesting story. It's kind of my favorite story. So I just don't want to name the conference, but, mm. you know, we submitted a paper and, and we were like pretty honest uh, saying things like, um, whatever the ladies were afraid first to go into the VR, but then after talking to them, they eventually went in and one of the participants was a bit afraid, you know, and then we get the review back and then they're saying, you hereby violated the ethical rules of ACM and um, you were not looking after the participants and um, you, this paper is unacceptable and, and you took a colonial stance and, you know, like, just like that. Mm. <laughs> and, and so we were so shocked with, 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 the, with the answer and then we decided, okay, there's no need for a rebuttal, a factual rebuttal. Um, so first what we did is we went with this review back to the community and, and they were shocked, like, what they are saying you cursed us and I mean you know we work with communities for, for we stay with them forever yeah. so we are with the, the Sun community since 2017 very close yeah. part of our research team was a was a Sun activist you know so we are re really pretty close um, and then they are like how coerced you know we are so glad you you ask us five times to come into the VR because mm. also what happens now is every time we come to the village the ladies are the first ones to come and they are the ones with mm -hmm. the most design ideas <laughs> you know but then the, 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 so we didn't do a real rebuttal we just told them that we feel very offended by the review and it in they did not consider, you know, that that we are a team of Namibians and calling us colonizers um, is is definitely inappropriate, and and our community members are also not happy with them. And then they actually forwarded it to the ethics committee, the Sikai ethics committee. Mm -hmm. Okay, now you know it's a Sikai conference, but yeah. Um, and so that was kind of interesting also because they were like back and forth and saying, yeah, yeah, the reviews are unacceptable. You cannot just, you know, call off as colonizers and things like that. Um, and, and so then they said, yeah, we don't quite know what we should say about the acceptance of the paper, but um, we should also exactly what, what you said is we should 
think of from which perspective do we judge a paper mm-hmm. and 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 remember our own western bias yes. so that's what now the ethics yeah. committee also said yeah. um and and i think reviewers keep on forgetting that because now they're in this power position of being a reviewer yeah um and and okay so then the paper never went into that conference we sent it to another conference it it got an honorary award at the other conference oh, and then the same co- the same conference a year later called me to be a panelist for on, on the diversity inclusion um topic and and it's kind of interesting how i feel the whole conference turned around it's a smaller conference mm-hmm. um and 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 they are now really one of the most inclusive so they they really go out of their way you know to make sure there's african students coming and so it's it's kind of interesting how maybe that was an effect i don't know but for me of course there's this whole irony that the one year we get chased away and the next mm. year we get called back in yeah yeah but it's it's a lot depending on the on the individual i would say I, I we just had that discussion the powers with the 2ac yeah. um be, because we also just got a review back where one reviewer say one it must be rejected the other one said four it must go in and then the 2ac kind of was liked it and then it went in you know with such a diverse reviewing mm. so it's Uh, yeah I, i don't want to say it but it's a bit of a kind of like a gamble like a it, yeah, like who, it is. who who is the 2ac does the 2ac is. like the yes like it or not i mean edward lee who i spoke to last about uh the the review process talked about you know basically random luck um exactly yeah. in, the, in that way yeah i i'm conscious that you know like you there may be th- this conference that you're talking about now being one of the most inclusive but the price that you had to pay in whatever contribution you played in helping to shift that in terms of i don't know like was there a student involved who missed out on a timely publication and are you judged on publications you know in terms of evaluations and things like what's the impact for you because it's time and effort and angst as well as perhaps career and cv impacts yeah so so of course in general it would be that for me i mean because i i have a long term bigger goal you know of convincing the world that indigenous knowledge is really valuable mm. um so i'm i became patient um and and of course i get kind of angry and irritated at that point yeah. when i get a review back like that um so so maybe on my stress level maybe i have more gray hair than before <laughs> <laughs> but it also makes me stronger in some ways mm-hmm. you know and it also actually connects us more to the community because then we discuss those things you know we mm. discuss all these topics yeah. and and it becomes really interesting in, in Yeah so I think like the cultural appropriation of course has been a topic you know yeah. um because you know I have those dreadlocks and then there's this discussion that the white people should not have dreadlocks and my community is like what on earth are people discussing <laughs> you know <laughs> so this is an example of an issue that's an issue in the global north but 
not in not fit where you are not and your community not at all because it's 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 more a symbol of acceptance of being um closer to the other culture mm. you know it's it, i'm not taking away anything it's my own hair <laughs> so yeah so it it's in in my okay in in my personal um life it doesn't matter because yeah I mean, okay I'm a professor I have published you know I can't I, I can't be promoted anymore mm. um I have enough publications going out so one more or less doesn't matter um in terms for the students it's very frustrating because you know so 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 i have students exactly who really suffered from from those reviews and who were mm. saying like but we did all this work and now we get judged for that and i we had yeah we had other cases where it was kind of targeted kind of at me and my work and then my co-authors suffer with the with the rejection and so lucky we didn't have like a like an emergency with a with a phd paper mm. because that would be of course very frustrating also yeah yeah but it's also the question you know like who can be our audience and who not you know because mm. it's like okay if that conference if we don't get a foot into that conference then um th that audience will never really hear us yeah and then they and, and so they become yeah yeah they're gatekeepers us then you know to maybe yeah. interested people in that space yeah mm. yeah and and for me it's also always the question now with this you know with the context and the assumptions so i have to kind of when i write i have to think okay who could be the reviewer and how much must i write to convince the the reviewer that it's like this or like that mm. you know to override whatever assumptions the person has mm. and it becomes really complicated and then yeah. also like in terms of referencing our prior prior work which we are not allowed to because it's supposed to be anonymous yeah. but you know this whole anonymity is 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 kind of a joke i mean even as a reviewer i can't remember when i did not know whose paper it was if the person is well known mm. and if the person is not known, then the anonymity doesn't make a difference. Mm. Yeah. And does that also play out because maybe there aren't many people doing this sort of research in a Namibian context, you know, does. It, yeah, ex exactly. So the moment I put Namibia and indigenous people, I mean, mm. there is no, no other research in, in the technology space. Mm. You know, then it's 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 nearly obvious who mm. who we are. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. Yeah, anonymity is um, as you know. Again, as Edward sort of pointed to as well, has its challenges. You know, it, it protects in some ways and for some aspects and biases, but it introduces others, other issues. Have you been rejected because you you weren't properly an anonymized, or have people commented on that? Yes, there were those comments. So I remember one conference. We had two papers, and in each paper we did a different approach. You know, like in the one we had this um, 
saying like our colleagues did this, but you know, our colleagues did this in the village, in the same village as us before us, and we mm. built on that, um, which is kind of weird. And then in because the other you are region, you are is, our colleagues. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and and in the other one, I think we just said um, whatever we did this, and then have the bracket anonymized, and then mm. they're like, yeah, but now we can't read up on what you are referring to. Oh yes, what is going on? Yeah. You know, but it it's really hard if it's like this long term studies. I mean, everything falls under one huge project in our case. Mm. And, and it builds, of course, on our learnings. And then I can't say as somebody that worked in that village with the sun found out, it's obviously still me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's, that's also reflecting a difference that isn't just to do with global south and global north, but different national contexts or international contexts where in Europe, there's often a tendency to have larger scale projects over multiple years with multiple collaborators. Yes. And I don't know, the, I see in the US, although I think it's changing, is, is more likely to be single institutions and smaller projects, smaller timeframes or, you know, summer student projects. And it's that there are different models there and they result in different types of research and reporting and timeframes. What, what about citations, though, and visibility? So there's something about, okay, if you've managed to navigate this whole system and somehow get papers accepted, how does what plays out then in terms of having those papers um, recognised, cited, valued? Yeah, okay, so that is a really hard one now so so one of the things is to say okay we we publish in our circles like africa instead of kai for example mm -hmm. um but then i i did i did look at the citation rates and so i just compared nordica and africa both in 2018 and then africa has i think a hundred something citations and, and nordica has 500 something citations so mm -hmm. It's quite a diff, big difference. Um, and so even I, I see even within our own circles that, uh, that uh, yeah, they don't really cite, again, also um, work from the neighboring countries, but still go back, you know. So also, in the I mean, in the PD space, it's always like, and it's the Scandinavian approach, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I mean... We are, we are more than 10 years of having created our own PD and not only yeah. in Namibia, you know, like yeah. throughout yeah. Africa. But why does an African have to even go back to the history of PD in Scandinavia, you know? Yeah. It's actually not even interesting anymore to, to have that as a reference point. Um, and then, so the other big issue now with the open access also is that we don't have the money to, to publish open access. I mean, I just mm. submitted a paper and it says, do you want to pay um, 3,000 US dollar? And I'm like, uh, no, you know, I, I cannot. And because the thing is, in, in Europe, I don't know in the US, but I know, for example, Germany has a contract with Springer, meaning mm -hmm. every German can publish for free in, in Springer without paying that 3,000. Yeah. And, and so then... Then what we have to do is we have to collaborate with a German, 
Okay. And then we get it for free. But, you know, it, it can't be that we need to have um, foreign authors on the papers in yeah. order to get in for free, kind of, yeah. you know. And yeah. so this has huge consequences because it means our papers get cited less because they're not open access, you know, so yes. people can actually... So our colleagues from 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 the continent can also not see our papers because they also don't have the money to pay for the subscriptions. Yes. So all the papers they can read are the open access ones from from the Western space, from mm-hmm. where people have money, where the countries, the institutes negotiated. And so we are no longer part of the whole knowledge creation process. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like some people say, yeah, but now with open access, you can read more. I'm like, yeah, but that makes me a user. Yes, the knowledge yeah. I I produce is is not part of 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 the pool yeah. of that is accessible. Yeah. So that new model is actually a total, uh, yeah, it's totally counterproductive for us. Yeah, indeed, and, and that's that, that's scary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that further goes to exclusionary practices and further marginalization and invisibility, as yes. you said. Yeah. Yes, in in the creation. <laughs> yeah, in the creation, yeah. and the and that 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 shift from inclusion to equity, having equal visibility. Um, yeah. Yes. Equal equal right to be part of that knowledge creation. Are, are there any versions of open access that have made it more accessible for people who don't have access to big budgets? Or don't have national I mean, there, agreements. There's selective. Okay, there's journals. I think that mm-hmm. are um, that are open access for everybody, where there's no fees at all. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how they finance themselves or whether they co-finance through other things. Mm. Um, so as long as they're exactly recognized open access journals without fees, that that works. So we do publish there. Um, again, like I said, our own platforms, nobody recognizes them. Mm. You know, if our university says, yeah, why don't you put it on our university repository? Who, yeah. who will ever mm-hmm. go there, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, I can see with Elsevier, before the paper, before I click um, approved um, the, 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 the copy, it's already out on the internet everywhere and here's your new publication and I don't know, within a week, I have 100 people who saw it, mm. you know, so that so the whole mechanism of advertising is, of course, there with the publishers, which yes. our little repositories will never yes. have. So yes. the visibility will not ever increase. So I don't know. I think there should be something like a cross-funding, mm-hmm. you know, to say, okay, people from these countries. But then again, so we count as middle... Um, so, so we are not um, in in the worst category. I mean, even mm-hmm. for Kai, we pay. We, you would pay six hundred US dollar for conference attendance plus a workshop, and it's like uh, that is a lot. Yeah, and that's without thinking about airfares and accommodation as well. Yeah, so that's only the conference. Yeah, so our the. You know, within the computer science area, our dominant conference model for publishing uh, 
is yet another practice that makes it really difficult for you then with with the the cost element of that as well yes yeah because that is comparable to the open access mm. and and the thing is also of course we we know that if we don't go to conferences we don't get contacts we can't create collaborations we don't get mm. grants you know so of course that's the whole purpose of of the conference also the whole networking around it yeah yeah and and so it 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 makes i mean i am a big defender of you know making funds available for the conferences mm. and 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 somehow i mean our our management and our um funding bodies do do kind of approve of of us going to conferences mm-hmm. at least yeah and and i mean with the student with the gary marston fund so so of course we we then focus on sikai conferences because they mm-hmm. at least we get a chance to send yeah. students but so i would love to send more students you know and also if the, for example the student volunteer program was um more sophisticated maybe so you know i was mm. hoping i get my students into kai but then they didn't get chosen and it's like mm. oh <laughs> yeah because that also yes. they're they're all just little subtle things that go to creating a little bit more presence visibility opportunities for sharing stories experiences for people to start mm. you know, to raising awareness yeah yeah and i mean i last year went to a conference in in madeira and then for the first time you know it's like there was t- i think about 10 Ten South Africans out of whatever we were, hundred participants, mm-hmm. and I was so excited. I was like, I've never seen so many Africans at a European mm-hmm. conference. You know, it was like really, it was actually really beautiful. Um, because usually, I mean, I remember one of these conferences. What was it? A software engineering one in Cape Town. There mm. was not a single um, African at the conference. Even though the conference so that was, was in also- Cape Town. In Cape Town, yes. Wow, wow. And papers, I think maybe one or two. Yeah, our papers somehow, but it's mm. yeah, that 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 was it. Mm. <laughs> We have a long way yes, to go to become more equ- inclusive and equitable. Yeah, in communities. I, I like pl- pluriversality as that. Yeah. That's the the term we work with now mm-hmm. and I, i think that is a more beautiful word mm-hmm. you know to look at the at the different perspectives again so we are back at <laughs> at my topic mm. that is it's really important to have this diverse um perspectives on things mm-hmm. yeah can you say any more about pluriversality as a concept it's a lovely concept yeah it it it's it was propagated also by escobar um and and it's the idea of a world where many worlds fit mm-hmm. and i think this is kind of a beautiful idea to say okay we are not pulling the one or the other over the other but um we we look at the different perspectives and ensure they all fit into one world mm-hmm. What could and I, I know it again. Yeah. Go on, Heike. Yeah. 
No, no, I want to say, I know, again, in the practical sense, it's very complicated. So we have been also, you know, trying to work out what does that mean in praxis? You know, how mm -hmm. do we do, how do we operate on that or how, with that or how do we work towards that? Because it's, it's also very abstract as a concept. Yeah. In having thought about yeah. it a lot, do you have any ideas for first steps? towards that I, I mean okay of course in the technology design I, I would keep on promoting the participatory design or the co-design process because anybody who's involved in the design process puts a little bit of themselves into the system mm. so you know just by that process in, in, in terms of um, conferences and reviews, I mean, of course, I was thinking, you know, I was kind of joking with a friend saying, like, we just have to make sure from now on all two ACs are Africans and then it would shift <laughs> dramatically. <laughs> so, so maybe it's like, you know, with emancipation or whatever, we have to do a more radical approach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and say, okay, we favor, you know, like you always see in the adverts and we favor women. So maybe yes. we favor um, the others now. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, it, of course, it, it's, it's gonna, it would be a revolt, you know, because then yeah. again, we are discriminating against um, the, the ordinary Western person. And they will say, why, you know? Yeah. So it's 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 a very difficult one. It is. But but certainly with increasing the number of reviewers or diversifying the the reviewer and and the program committees, that would be one step for sure. Mm. Yeah. To get those different voices into the room and reviewing papers. Do we also? Mm. I don't know. Like I'm just thinking about the the awareness raising as well that you know, so, much, so much of what you've said points to the fact that where we can be and I can be as guilty of this as anyone of being uncritical and unreflective about my own biases and what are my own assumptions and you know the ways in which I might perceive a mainstream and operate from that perspective and I'm just thinking about how do we go about raising awareness and just getting people to ask questions more and being just being aware of asking or embracing the possibility of other other perspectives on the world and experiences of the world. And I'm also then thinking about all of the diversity and inclusion initiatives in organisations where a lot of the research says that running training programs about you know how to reduce biases actually can often have a counter effect. So I'm just trying to think about what, how we might do this. Yeah, because then we we might get the same dissonance yeah. again, you know, so that from yeah. a, from a purely academic brain perspective, yes, it all makes sense. We should be tolerant. We should be inclusive, but that that wouldn't change our fundamental underlying assumption and, and mm. perspectives. So, of course, I would always promote, like, um, more people should experience, uh, you know, come down here, maybe come mm -hmm. to Africa, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, see that there is actually real research happening down mm -hmm. here. Um, and maybe being part of some sessions. I I would, yeah, I would always go for experience, but of course, how yeah. do you get so yeah. many people? But yeah, I, I think I think I kind of heard that Af um, Kai is supposed to be in Africa at one stage. But, so that would be, yes. for example, I mean, Cape Town is definitely capable of hosting it. Mm, mm. They host the Soccer World Cup, you know, so they can also host the Kai. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I I believe that could actually mm. change yes. people's perspective. Yes. But or more collaborations. Yeah. You know, to 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 really work with yeah. colleagues from different spaces. Mm, so your, all of these ideas are about how to create more opportunities for personal encounters, really, aren't they? And personal yeah, because at the end, experiences. At, you know, at the end, it boils down to the individual of, mm. because you could put up all the rules you want, be tolerant, be nice, yeah. be whatever. Which um, we have, you yeah, know, don't and, we, in a way. Exactly. And and like I said, the reviewers even write and say, I do understand we need diversity, but you did not compare but. to mainstream. <laughs> you know, oh so so the misinterpretation of what it means is 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 there and it yeah. remains there. Yeah. yeah. Because it's it's not coming from the heart. Yeah. Yeah. The the what you said at the very beginning about the abstract um ideas principles values but not being lived out or playing out practically you know it's the but you know we yes we say that yes but you, yeah <laughs> yes yeah. so are there any any aspects of this that we haven't talked about yet that you'd want to share in 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 i don't know being part of talking to each of us about your experiences? Um, no, I, I think I covered it pretty well. Um, and, and and I I don't have the solution, you know, if I could just yeah, tell you, no. let's do this, yeah. change. Yeah. Um, of course, that would be beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and again, as you have pointed to a, a, quite a few times, it does come down to us as individuals, as people, and really, I don't know, just being yeah, aware so, of so, mm. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So the power is with the one AC and the two AC yeah, at the yeah. end of the day. And yeah. so if we would make sure they are more understanding, mm that would be step one mm. yeah that we carefully yeah. choose our ACs yeah because yeah. I'm not sure whether the, the the aspect of diversity comes in in the selection of ACs no because we en we end up with some self-perpetuating system don't we as in the people who manage to navigate the process that that is, more favoring the mainstream and the global north and end up being the people mm -hmm. who have the the so-called profile and experience to be asked to be ACs and it 
it becomes this mm. self-perpetuating cycle. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, so maybe we need mentorship for, for ACs or, you know, like slowly introducing yeah. um, more people into it. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I mean, that would be my first obvious thought. Mm, right. And any any other final thoughts as we head to wrap up here? Mm, no, not really. Mm, I can't think of any. Mm -hmm. Heiker, I do. I just want to thank you. Go on. No, no, no. I was just going to thank you so much for sharing your experiences and the generosity of spirit that you bring to it. I mean, even just in one of the points where you said, oh, we could perhaps do some of this favouring, uh, you know, favoring people from the global south for example in particular positions but then your generosity in just saying but then that will create <clears throat> you know issues for other people i i think that that is also a huge lesson and i'm i know that i will go away with lots to think about here and just reflect on the ways in which i may have carried out some of my own biases um, in review processes beyond what I shared in a, in, a, in an episode a couple of episodes ago, but just in because these yeah. are more subtle, these are more subtle background things that we um, don't even think about to be thought about, if if you know what I mean. And you've really yeah. made me start to think about it more now. And that how difficult it must be for people from other, you know, not uh, sort of global South contexts to to be equal contributors to the knowledge creation process. Yeah, it. it, it I, I think I mean also the, the the ones who work with me, of course, they they have a bit of an advantage because you know I I kind of understand the system a little bit mm -hmm. and you know I, I I learned to navigate so they then navigate with me but then I'm tr I'm just thinking of um, whatever a random research cluster somewhere who who will just never get the foot into the door yes because they don't even know where to start yes because you talked about the fact that when you sit down to write a paper you don't have to just think about how do I communicate this study design and its findings and position it against the literature and all of the usual paper writing processes. You are all, you also talked about needing to sit down and think about who might the reviewer be and what are their contexts and assumptions and how do I need to preemptively counter those? You know, what do I need to communicate to them? So there's a double layer of work that <laughs> exactly. is because of yeah. your experience. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And, and <clears throat> somebody, you know, doesn't have the experience in that space or mm. haven't gone to conferences mm. wouldn't even know that these uh, assumptions are out there. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm also just the the thing that you said about Africa that we we didn't pick up on too much. Um, you know, you, we talked about Africa in terms of people don't go to the Africa proceedings for you know citations. You talked about the comparison of citations between Africa and Nordica. And coming from Australia as well, I'm also conscious that you know there's a great Ozkai conference series, and yes, these, so the citations are even more there. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. The, the citations are, have increased better. There, there's you know it, it is improving, but the importance of these national um, gatherings of of communities of researchers within a national context are so critically important for both, you know, creating networks because often there's still, you know, like uh, Australia and Africa, the African continent, and, and you know, there are vast distances involved. And sometimes you need these conferences for people to get together. And also just the thing about being able to share the experiences um, where you're dealing with one particular policy body, how you can uh, come together to influence and lobby that policy body that might impact the funding for your research in that country and so on. And often these national conferences are undervalued, aren't they, compared to, again, the sort of so-called mainstream, which in some way grew out of almost uh, not being said explicitly, but implicitly almost being a national American or Global North conference um, that people don't even think about either. And how do we get our national conferences valued on people's CVs as well as cited? Because they're they're important venues for community building. They may be important venues for access because funding is is limited and international isn't so available. Yeah, they're extremely important to also mm. build this community and and. Mm for people to position themselves. Yeah. But exactly, so this recognition, so we also had, like, we, I have some students registered in Australia um, for a PhD, and then the, the PhD committee was also like, nah, Africa doesn't Africa doesn't count the publication, only OSCAI. And then oh. luckily the, prof, the professor was arguing and saying, no, Africa is totally equivalent to OSCAI, you know. Yeah. You, you cannot just say this is Africa and therefore the publication doesn't count. Oh, that's really terrible to hear. <laughs> so this, but yeah, again, that's even a self-self. Yeah, yeah, so that's... Yeah. And, and, and an equivalent national conference. <laughs> yeah, but that's probably administrators. <laughs> yeah, it is yes. probably administrators and having their, their list of A-star conferences or whatever the stupid constraints are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being, for sharing all this. And I'm hoping that it can be a really important input to the ongoing discussions and reflections and the slow shifts in our communities to creating more inclusive, equitable review processes um, and that opening up people's contributions to knowledge creation, that it might impact some of our decisions in, in our professional bodies, in funding schemes, you know, that might reflect, say, the one that's in SIGCHI, you mentioned Gary Marsden, there may be other conferences, series may think about these sorts of ways to what each of us can do individually as reviewers and what we can do within our professional bodies to facilitate um, this much more inclusive, equitable um, 
publication models. So thank you, Heike. I really appreciate your time and, and the sharing today. Yeah, and thank you for having me. It was a lovely conversation. Yeah, it was. Well, I don't know about you, but wow is all I could say at the end of this. And I was so taken with the gentle and generous spirit in which Heike shared these really difficult experiences that have had real impacts on them. And on us as well, because we miss out on the contributions, the broader contributions to the community. And maybe it's just worth reminding ourselves again and again to ask more questions, to question our own assumptions and biases, and to take Hiker as a role model in always being curious to ask, how do other people see the world from another perspective? And this doesn't just have to apply to Global South and Global North differences, but any of the many ways in which we may be different that may lead us to make different contributions. We can do better to become more inclusive professional peer communities, and we need to do better. So please, if you never do this usually, just even for this conversation, think who you can share this with so that we can start uh, encouraging more of us to look for different perspectives and different ways of seeing the world. You can find the summary notes, a transcript and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify and Google Podcasts and you can follow Change ACAD Life on Twitter. And I'm really hoping that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. And you can contribute to this by rating the podcast and also giving feedback. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues. Together, we can make change happen.